Hey all, welcome to today's episode of The Pill Perspective. I'm your host, Dr. Noria. Wait, don't we like to keep things consistent? Should I be introducing us? And didn't we establish last time that you're Noria the Explorer? All right, hold on there, Dr. Nielsen. I think we should try a new look. Maybe the viewers will appreciate a change and find this to be much better. Anyways, today we'll be going over a drug that's been around for a long time, Coumadin. You know, you could just say Warfarin, which is the generic name for Coumadin. Uh, Warfarin also goes by a different brand name, Jantavin. Oh yeah, that's right. I should remember that. But anyways, you know, I actually had some fond memories of doing Warfarin clinics back in my fourth year at the irritation. Yeah, I'd like to hear about that. It might help explain why we have Warfarin clinics today. Yeah, sure. So with Warfarin clinics, they've been around for a while because Warfarin is a potent anticoagulant. Or another way of rephrasing that is that they're a pretty good blood thinner to prevent and treat clots. So the indications could include embolisms and atrial fibrillation. Right. So how did you monitor patients at these clinics? I'm assuming you did some sort of point of care testing to obtain INR readings to monitor your patients on warfarin? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So the INR range that we were looking for to make sure patients with it were within target goals was between two to three. That meant if they were at that range between or from two to three, we'd have to do just adjustments for them on that day. Okay. And if I remember correctly, there are some additional considerations, such as if a patient had, what was it? Oh, a mechanical heart valve. We used a different INR range. Wasn't it 2.5 to 3.5? Yeah, we actually used that same range back when I was doing the INR clinics or the warfarin clinics, I should say. But uh, if you can help me out, uh, I know I had trouble with talking to patients uh, about INRs and keeping up with follow-ups. What did you tell your patients about warfarin clinics or about monitoring INRs and doing the follow-ups? Well, I would tell them um, there is a high risk with warfarin for bleeding due to its blood thinning properties. So by checking their INR routinely, it allows us, the pharmacist or the clinicians, to be able to make changes to their warfarin dose. And this would also help them from having any future complications. Yeah, I think you bring up a lot of good points. I think this helps explain why warfarin has a therapeutic window. Having clinic helps healthcare providers monitor patients, especially when you take into account all the different interactions that can happen with it. I think one of the things that I also found challenging was also how do we counsel or how did you counsel patients on the bleeding risks and dietary habits? Uh, You know, there's so much uh, pressure on healthcare providers to be able to provide information to the patients, especially to empower them. So again, thinking about from the bleeding risks and dietary habits, how do you talk to patients about about those? Well, first, I think it's important that we discuss how warfarin actually works. So warfarin works by preventing vitamin K conversion into its active form and then acts on several clotting factors such as 2, 7, 9, 10, protein C, and protein S. You're right. We probably should have actually talked about the MOA first, but let's go back to the question. How did you counsel patients on bleeding risk and dietary habits? First, I would like to address maybe the signs of bleeding. So I would let the patient know when they're on warfarin to look out for things such as bruising easily, cuts that don't heal, bleeding when brushing teeth, and blood in their stools. And saying all this didn't freak out the patients? I mean, some were concerned, 
but others are more grateful to understand what to look out for and how to be prepared for their next visit. Which makes sense. And I think it's also helpful that in the back of our pockets, we can use vitamin K as a reversal agent in case things do uh, go in a different direction than what we anticipate. How do you address the dietary habits since we know that vitamin K plays an important role in how warfarin works? You know, I was just about to get to that. I would tell patients that they would need to eat a consistent amount of foods rich in vitamin K, as well as avoid taking any new dietary supplements until they were talked about with their provider or the pharmacist. So some examples of vitamin K rich foods included green leafy vegetables like kale and spinach, and also egg products like mayonnaise should also be avoided. Wait, you're saying patients can eat a tasty burger with mayonnaise? I mean, think about that, the mayonnaise in there. Seems so unfair to them. I mean, it really depends. And the important point is to be consistent. So it's not that they couldn't eat a burger with mayonnaise, is that we want to avoid it eating it too much. And so really the idea is having a healthy diet. Got it. That's interesting. And speaking from my experience, it was a challenge uh, to think about all this and really thinking about how to empower patients, talking to them and providing information. So I really appreciate your perspective on this. Of course, no problem. Well, I think that about wraps up what we wanted to cover on Warfarin today. Thanks for not picking on me too much this episode. You realize we have a lot more episodes to go. Oh, geez, that's a good point. Well, tune in next time on The Pill Perspective. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. For those of you who are enjoying the soundtrack, the artist is L. Jones, and the song is called Mango Kimono.